Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So this week... I happen to be spending some time in Beantown. That's right, Boston, or the Boston vicinity, as they say. It's a beautiful city, Boston. I've been here several times. I really do like it. Uh, There's great food. It's not a gigantic, overpowering city, sometimes like New York can be, or Philadelphia. So Philadelphia has got some great things, too, but, you know, there's so much crime. Now, in New York City and Philadelphia, it's hard to go there and enjoy it. Boston has its share of crime as well. But currently, uh, my, my visit here is for business, and I'm, I'm enjoying myself. It's been nice so far. The weather has been good, which is always great. So when you go to Beantown, you know, I was going to go over to Fenway Park. I want to get some pictures in front of Fenway Park for all my Yankee friends who will be losing their minds, realizing that I'm, uh, I'm in Fenway Park, because that's obviously Yankees and, and the Boston Red Sox are. What do they call them? Uh, blood, blood enemies, whatever it is. Uh, I'm not a big baseball fan, but if I liked anybody, I'd probably like the Mets and the Yankees. So one of the things we see in the news today is the kidnap of four Americans after they crossed the border from Brownsville, Texas, into Mexico. Uh, apparently, according to all the reports, uh, four American women from South Carolina, I believe, We're going to Mexico for a tummy tuck procedure or some other kind of medical procedure. And as soon as the car crossed the border into the Mexican side, they uh, they were driving a short distance and somebody opened up on the car with gunfire. Once the car was disabled and stopped, there's video that many of us have seen the video already. It's quite frightening uh, as the, uh, the shooters now roll up on the car and they pull the four people out of the car. Two of them were dragged out. So it looked like they may have died in the initial uh, gunfire. And then the other two were recently released. Uh, Apparently, an innocent uh, Mexican citizen was also killed when the gunfire erupted. So this this really causes us to have to bring on a conversation about what the hell is going on in Mexico. Is it a is it a sovereign government state? Or is it now really a narco state? controlled almost completely by the uh, cartels. They run the government. They run everything else that's going on there. So the whole story hasn't come out yet about uh, what happened. But normally, when people are kidnapped in Mexico, you uh, you do not see them again. The cartel will take them, hold them for ransom. If the ransom is paid, they end up killing them anyway, dumping them to, to make a statement. If the ransom is not paid, they kill them and dump them to make a statement. It is a lawless, dangerous place on our southern border. Uh, a few weeks back, we saw that there was uh, a Mexican hit team, cartel hit team, that crossed the border, came into California, and actually killed a family. Uh, now, two people have been arrested in that crime. Whether or not uh, there's any further connections to, to other cartels, thing, the reality is the cartels are here. Every state in America is now a border state because of our open border. 
and the cartels for all intents and purposes are paramilitary organizations loaded with weaponry, loaded with the desire and the ability to kill anyone who gets in their way, and flush with money from all the drugs that they're pushing across our borders. And what is it we do about it? Well, of course, we, st well, we, we stop the, we do nothing. The Biden administration is doing nothing to protect American citizens uh, on the border from the cartel activity, which is going to get worse and worse and worse. We know that all along the border, there are homes on the American side that are simply receiving places, and there's tunnels. We find these tunnels all the time that go from the Mexican side to the American side and come up in the basement of some house that somebody bought in America, and that's the staging point. Happens quite a lot. And what comes across there? Well, people, but drugs, all kinds of other things. So these cartels are, are no, they're not legitimate governments. They are criminal enterprises. They're organized crime is what they are. And they are affecting Americans. Now, the drugs that they're bringing over, over 100,000 American citizens dying every year from fentanyl. I read a story the other day in an Airbnb. Uh, a family rented an Airbnb, and they, they went into the Airbnb, and their little two-year-old daughter found some fentanyl, either from the previous people who rented the place, or it was in there from the owners or somebody. But the little girl ingested the fentanyl, and she died. So this is now becoming um, an everyday part and parcel of, of American life, this fentanyl. I know that there's, a, uh, there's stories of cab drivers now that are sick of the fentanyl smoke that they're having to breathe in when people are vaping with these kind of drugs. Because you can vape with opium, you know, that you can get anything you want in a vape now. There's vape with THC, marijuana, there's vape with opium. It's, uh, it's really horrible, and these cab drivers are sick of people sitting in the back getting high with opium. So the, the kidnappers who grabbed these Americans, maybe they mistook who they were, but the reality is we hear that within, within a very short period of time, and I'm not going to say three days or four days, I don't, I, it's a very short period of time, uh, the two surviving people, because two of them were killed, two of the people were killed, and two of them survived, the two survivors were returned to America uh, and taken to a hospital where they're, under, under, where they're receiving treatment under doctor care. And the other two, uh, apparently the Mexican government is going to assist to recover their bodies if they haven't done so already. Does that seem to you like that happened very quickly? Why would that be? See, now as the investigator in me, I say, okay, so suddenly the Mexican government manages to swoop in amongst the cartels where they normally can't work. They can't do anything to the cartels. The cartels run the country. Uh, they, but they swoop in, they save two Americans that were kidnapped, and uh, they're going to bring out the, the remains of the other two. Seems to me like either the cartel realized that there's building pressure from the new Republican Congress uh, to start looking at the cartel as a very, very dangerous uh, situation. Um, they are. They're, they're very, they, are, they are a terrorist organization. They kill hundreds of thousands of Americans through their drugs. They're committing all kinds of crimes, bringing people in here. And we are sitting back doing nothing. The Biden administration is really doing nothing about it. And uh, Bill Barr, who, uh, you know, you say what you want about Bill Barr. I thought he was going to be a great guy under Trump. He ended up being another swamp creature weasel. 
never came out with the information. The, the investigation, the, the Durham investigation, is still going on. Uh, four years later, we still have no idea uh, what went on with all that nonsense. But Bill Barr comes out, and he has some credibility, I guess, to lots of people. And now he's saying, the cartel is very dangerous, and you have to take the cartel out. It should be treated like a terrorist organization, and we should use every lever possible to go and get them. Now, I say I, I, I agree with him. This has now become outrageous. And, and what do we do? Do we fly over the Mexican border? Are we invading a Mexico if we were to use military? Or do we do it with the Mexican government and try and get rid of them? So you have to figure. Only two reasons I think the Mexican government, which clearly cannot handle the cartels. They can't handle them. Otherwise, they would be handling them, and they can't. Only two reasons they really wouldn't want to do that with the American help. One, it is so corrupt that they're involved up to their eyeballs with the money that comes in, and they all just pretending. All these officials are pretending that, oh, we're against the cartel, we're against the cartel, but they're really not against the cartel because they're getting money from it. Or number two, they're scared to death of what the cartel will do them because these cartels are ruthless, murdering uh, people. They kill judges, police officers, families of these people all the time. It is a horrific situation that's going on with these cartels. So what are we going to do? Um, I, I don't know. Until we, get, until we get more power to do something, I don't know. But there's the talk that's starting to happen. But it just seemed very strange to me that we got these two Americans back so quickly. And I really do believe the, the, the cartel leaders realize, uh-oh, these were, these were not drug-related people. These were four American citizens going into Mexico to get something legitimate done. And they were murdered and kidnapped, and they had better give them back pretty quick before they really um, draw the attention of the American people and draw everyone's ire, so to speak. That's what I think uh, went on there. So some other topical things that are going on. And this is like a mixed bag, initially, I guess, of things that, I, that I've seen uh, in the news, read stories, and, and heard people talking about. You know, San Francisco, it's, uh, it's, I told you I was in San Francisco not too long ago. And everything they say about it is true. It is an absolutely beautiful place on the Pacific coast, but the city itself is, is really coming apart at the seams. I mean, I got out of the airport... And it drove through some of the streets. And you could see these big, beautiful hills with these houses everywhere. It's, oh, this would be such a great place. Look at the, the coastline, the bridges. And it turns out there's homeless people everywhere. There are people defecating on the street. There's needles everywhere. It is absolutely looks like what the, what the earth would look like uh, 10 years after, uh, you know, civilization fell apart. It looks like one of these zombie shows come to life. And it's... It's really a shame. First of all, it's a shame for the uh, homeless people who are forced to live like that because they, they, a lot of them have mental illness and they can't make any better decisions for themselves. It's unfortunate for the people who are drug addicted because they're drug addicted and they can't really stop and they're making drugs available. They're letting drugs be available everywhere. They have shooting places, all that kind of stuff. And then the good and decent citizens of San Francisco who have no choice but to live with the mess of their city. So I'm going to also jump out there and say that probably the governing body and the mentality of the majority of people of San Francisco, obviously, uh, they're very liberal, they're very progressive, uh, 
and they seem to think that you know restricting a mentally incompetent individual from uh, leave, living on the street, defecating in their own uh, area, using drugs, that would be unfair to that person. I find that hideous. I find that seeing that people that are that injured mentally, physically, and allowing them to continue is, that's disgusting. You know, they can't take care of themselves. Why are we not helping them? Why are we not doing something to help these people take care of themselves? So, okay, what's that mean, Lieutenant Joe? Round people up and put them in asylums again like they used to do. I don't know. I know what they used to do was wrong. Now, I remember years and years ago, who was it? Geraldo Rivera, how he, he, uh, he made his name in the news. Uh, he went to a, uh, a, an asylum in Long Island. Uh, I wish I could, uh, Gray, Gray, I can't think of the name of it. And he went there and there was uh, quite a few hundreds of people living in unbelievably horrifying conditions. These were people with mental conditions. We had no, no other idea what to do with them. So they put them in this asylum to live, and it was like there were many of them like that. That's what our, our mental asylums were like. Uh, I don't know everywhere, but I know in lots of places. They were living in filth. They were not taken care of. They didn't get medicated. It was a horrific thing, a bad thing. And the, the overwhelming, I guess, push after seeing that show and when people saw that was to say, we can't have these places anymore. We can't allow people to live like that. And that was the start of the, uh, you know, uh, repatriate people out of these asylums and these hospitals and get them back into society. Like many things that our friends on the left come up with, there's usually a, a, a idea of doing the right thing. There's usually some idea of trying to be more fair, be better to somebody, to, to give people an opportunity that don't have it. I, I fully admit that, that that's what progressivism and liberalism at its heart is. Not at the leadership level. At the leadership level, progressiveness... Uh, and, and socialism is all about power and controlling people, not about taking care of people. But I think the, the average individual, the human being, my friends and family who are on the left, who are progressive, who are liberal, their ideas are that they want to do good and they want to find a way to people, for people to live without being oppressed, without being stepped on by the government, by having the little people have a chance to get ahead. All of that is good. That's all good stuff. The problem is in how they execute the plans that they have, the understanding that they have about human nature and how people were actually going to function. So the idea of closing down these mental asylums was actually understandable and it was correct. Seeing how they were living, you would never want anybody you know to live in one of these places. But pulling them out and letting them live on the street now is really just as bad. See, because while in the hospitals, they were defecating all over the floors and they were not being taken care of and their mental illness was not being taken care of and they were hurting each other. Now they're doing it out in the street in front of all of us and we're watching it and we're saying, well, at least they're not in an asylum. At least they're not locked up in a hospital. So I don't know exactly what the answer to this is, but I know letting people anywhere who cannot function properly, who cannot think clearly, who have mental illness, physical illness, letting them live on the street 
is not the right thing for us to do. So there has to be a somewhere in between letting them live on the street in filth and in danger and in, and in unhealthy conditions and putting them in an asylum where it's just as bad. There has to be a way to get people off the streets, get them the help that they need, and try and get them introduced back into society as people who can enjoy their lives, who can live a life, who are not living in such horrifying conditions. There has to be a way. And unfortunately, probably one of the first steps is going to have to be to have some kind of a, a system where they go in, they're evaluated, they're uh, understanding what their problem is, they're medicated, and they're stabilized. Then you can release them back out. But having them living in a city, taking over the streets, assaulting people, murdering people in many cases, using drugs, having their lives just wasted away, that is not compassionate. That is not decent. There's something wrong with us that we look at that and go, well, that's good for them. They get to live how they like to live. It's just not, uh, it's just not right. And San Francisco, and this was a long way around to say that they have a farmer's market there, uh, which like a lot of places do now, right? We have farmer's markets in the warm weather when plants are growing on Saturdays and Sundays. You can go get fresh tomatoes and corn and all. It's great. It's really very nice to get fresh produce locally grown. Well, they have this farmer's market, and they're now saying that it's about to go extinct, that the people who run it are going to shut it down permanently because it's being overtaken by drug addicts, people who are just sitting around shooting up, homeless, living around, making it a, a, a mess. And I'm telling you, I was there. I was in San Francisco. I'm sure parts of it are still beautiful, you know, but the parts I saw were exactly what you see on TV. It was horrible and ugly and disgusting. So I hope, I hope they can figure out what to do there. Now, again, along this whole line of, you know, interesting things that go on, um, you know, it's not every day we see kidnapping of American citizens. But there's a woman named Patricia Kopta. I think I'm saying it right. Patricia Kopta. She's now 83 years old. So what's interesting about Patricia Kopta? In 1992, Patricia vanished off the face of the earth. She just absolutely disappeared. And I think, I'm not positive of this, so you got to give Lieutenant Joe a little space here. I think she lived in Florida. I'm not sure. But she disappeared in 1992. Her husband reported her missing. Couldn't find her. Didn't know where she went. She just disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, she was, by, the, by the, the end of the 1990s, she was declared dead because nobody had found her. They didn't know if she wandered into the water. She was eaten by an alligator. Whatever it was, Patricia was gone off the face of the earth and nobody could find her. And I guess they investigated, couldn't find any, um, any indication of foul play or whatever. But they never found Patricia. Well, it turns out Patricia found her way to Puerto Rico somehow. And that part of the story hasn't come out yet, but she found her way to Puerto Rico. And in 1999, she was picked up by the local authorities in Puerto Rico as a person in need, is what they called her. Apparently, she was probably suffering some kind of mental uh, problem. Uh, she didn't speak much about her home life uh, in other parts and other parts of the world. And... Um, she simply was taken under the care of people in Puerto Rico. And recently, I guess they're saying her nursing people, people that were dealing with her, uh, as she's getting into dementia now, she's becoming a, a patient of dementia. She started giving enough information and facts to them 
about her previous life that they managed to reach out to the, um, the police department. And the town is Ross, uh, where she lived. And I don't know if Ross, Florida, Ross, North Carolina. I'm not sure. I apologize. I don't know that fact of the story. But they reached out to them and they said, we have this woman here saying she lived there a long time ago. And they went through their missing person files. And they try to kind of match it up and say, well, we had this woman who's disappeared in 90, and they did a DNA test, and it turns out, there she is after all these years. Uh, she's alive. She didn't die in the 90s. Uh, she was living in Puerto Rico, and it's, it's just an amazing thing. You think, how many hundreds of people did we see over the years, you know, people missing on the milk cartons and all that kind of stuff, and every once in a while, one of them will turn up. Now, I can imagine some people... Uh, disappear because they want to. You know, they want to go away. They want to start a new life. They don't get along with their family. You know, they disappear and off they go. But in some cases, I guess something like this can happen. You know, one of those things I remember hearing about, uh, you know, the amnesia. You know, what, how many stories? You know, when I was a kid, uh, I really thought that amnesia was going to be a bigger thing in life, you know, because when you see it on TV, everyone's got this amnesia and they walk around. They don't know who they are and they, they disappear. I thought that would be a much more prevalent thing than it actually turns out to be, but it, it does happen. And apparently uh, this woman, Patricia Copta's husband, is also in his 80s, and I think her sister, and they went and told her, hey, we, we found her. Uh, she's in Puerto Rico. And I guess they're going to reunite her um, with their family, which is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So does anybody out there fly? You ever go on an airplane and fly somewhere? Well, I fly. I fly a lot for business. I like flying in an airplane. I think it's a lot of fun. It's a great way to get around. Um, I've had my experiences with lots of different airlines. Uh, some of them are better. Some are not so good. But in general, flying is uh, is pretty good. When you can get over the you know the size of the seat is cramping and your legs are cramping and you have to go for many hours to places. But besides that, let's go past that, shall we? Uh, do you fly? Well, most of us fly at some point. You go on a vacation. You go for work. You go to see family. Whatever it is. Well, have you ever been in turbulence? In turbulence. Now, I guess I'm going to say about... I've, I've been in, flying in airplanes for a lot of my adult life, but not a lot until about five years ago, six years ago, when I, uh, I got involved in a different kind of work, a different line of work, a different business. And I fly more regularly, several, several to multiple, several times a year uh, for business. And all of a sudden, I get on an airplane, and I love the uh, I love the whole idea of aviation. I love when the plane is revving up. I love when the plane is uh, taxiing out. I love when the when the thrust of the engines hit, and you're pushed back in your seat, and the plane starts rocketing down the runway, and then off you go into the wild blue yonder, so to speak. I love that. And uh, turbulence. One of the first times I started to experience like real turbulence, my father-in-law Ted and I. Ted, uh, Ted listens all the time, and I know he's out there. Uh, Ted and I flew down to uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia, because my son Alex at the time was in a, it was kind of like a Boy Scout program for the military, and he was down there in Fort Stewart, and we had to go down and pick him up and then bring him home. So Ted and I were flying down, and it, it was summertime, and we're flying down, and the captain comes on the thing, bing, 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 hey, uh, there's some turbulence up ahead, everyone uh, sit down, please, put your seatbelts on, no moving about the cabin, all that kind of thing. And the plane started rocking and, and, you know, jumping up and down. And I had been in turbulence before. And you, after a while, once you realize the planes are built very strong, they're built to withstand turbulence that, you know, your plane's not going to crash because there's turbulence. Once you understand that, you, you, can, you can abide by it a lot better. 
And in this instance, this plane all of a sudden started really bucking and jumping and we were dropping. You could feel we dropped 30, 40 feet at a time. Then the wings are shaking and I mean, it was bad turbulence. So much so I remember Ted looking at me going, this is the worst I've ever been on. And Ted has been through on a lot of flights over, the, over his life. This is the worst turbulence I ever felt. I'm saying, wow, this is, this is pretty scary. And you could see that you would come out of your seat. If you didn't have your seatbelt on, you go flying. And the reason I'm setting the groundwork for this is that uh, recently there was a flight uh, from New England, northern New England, into Connecticut. And there was uh, apparently very, very, from New Hampshire down to Connecticut. And there was horrific, horrific turbulence so bad that the plane had to make an emergency landing and one of the people in the plane died. A 56-year-old person died because of the turbulence. Now, I can imagine, like I said, if you've ever been on a plane and you hit heavy turbulence, you can feel yourself come out of that seat. And if it wasn't for the fact that you're strapped down nice and tight, I could see where you'd go flying. You know, I could see where one of the, uh, the uh, cabin staff could go flying into the ceiling. You know, if you drop 40 feet and you stand at 8 feet from the ceiling, boom, you know, you hit that ceiling pretty hard. And I'm going to imagine that's probably what happened. Uh, one woman was taken out in an ambulance, and the other person was dead in the airplane because of the turbulence. So you say, that's kind of, uh, that's some crazy stuff. But So there we go. You know, I'm looking at some, some strange things in the news that we don't hear about all the time. Uh, a woman missing for many, many years turns up. An airplane, turbulence, kills somebody. Uh, we have... Uh, San Francisco being taken over by homeless and, and people who have mental conditions and they're going to shut down their farmer's market. And then we have Americans kidnapped and murdered going into Mexico. So all of these things, I have plenty of room to discuss more uh, as we go down the road, but we have to do something about the cartels. That's pretty clear. We have to do something about the homeless and the mentally deranged people who are out on the streets hurting people and hurting themselves. Uh, say a prayer for Patricia Kupta that she can come back to her life, which is great. And, uh, you know, these poor people who got hurt in an airplane. So if you're on an airplane, strap yourself in when they tell you. Strap in. Make sure you sit down and you're hanging in. All right, so one of the things about being safe and secure is that you're healthy. So I want to tell you about Healthy Cell and their Immune Boost product. Uh, for those who've been listening for a while, know that I've been taking it regular, even out here on the road in Boston. I brought my, uh, my immune boost from Healthy Cell, and I uh, take it every single morning because it has really helped me to stay healthy, and I think you should take a look at that too. All right, so you can find us on the uh, podcasts. You can find all kinds of, of shows with the fellows in the neighborhood, Lieutenant Joe by himself, all kinds of cool, interesting topics. If you go into the America Out Loud uh, podcasts, they're all over the place, and you can find it. Uh, I want to say thank you, everybody, for listening. We are preparing for our first break. I, I'm looking at some political things when we come back. We'll talk about that because politics never ends, and there's always some crazy stuff going on. Did you hear that the Democrats are thinking about bringing Hillary back or maybe even Al Gore, lockbox Al Gore, because they don't seem to think Joe Biden is going to make it to the uh, nomination uh, as far as whether or not they want him to or not. So that's what we'll talk about when we come back. There's a lot going on in America and the world. So thank you, everybody. This is Lieutenant Joe saying we'll be back in a minute. 
Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com. Seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody. Welcome back uh, to Chasing uh, Justice uh, here on the American Out Loud Radio Network. All right, so uh, I got a couple of texts while we're on the break here. Lieutenant Joe, what are you doing in Beantown? What are you doing up there? What are you looking around for? What are you doing? Uh, could it be possibly that the New England Patriots are thinking about bringing Lieutenant Joe on as the quarterback or the middle linebacker for next season? Well, I'll tell you, if I had two knees, I certainly feel strong enough to go do it. Uh, I don't know if getting hit by uh, 25-year-old guys full of muscle would uh, would go over well with my body, but I feel pretty strong and I'm in pretty good shape these days. But no, I am not here to become a member of the New England Patriots. As a Giants fan, I don't know that I could do that. Uh, it was hard enough to, to root for Tommy Brady when, uh, when the Giants weren't in the Super Bowl run, uh, but I did like him a lot. I thought he was great, and I, once I realized his greatness, I didn't mind rooting for him. And they had a great team. You can't, you can't deny. New England had a great team. So uh, what am I doing up here? Well, recently I told you I was in California, San Francisco, right? What was I doing there? What was I doing in Pennsylvania? What was I doing in New York? What was I doing in, uh, in Florida? What I do is threat assessments. That's one of the things I do, threat assessments. I go around and I look at facilities, uh, schools, businesses, churches, synagogues, uh, mosques, any place where people gather, uh, recreational facilities, summer camps, all those kind of things. And I do threat assessments. I, I look at the physical plant. I look at the policies, the procedures, and all the things that are in place in the, uh, in the organization, whatever it is, no matter the organization. 
and I tried to use my experience and what I know about safety and security to determine if they have a good plan, do they have good operation plans, do they train their staff properly to respond to violence. Uh, most of it is for looking at um, workplace violence, active shooter kind of violence, active killer, active assaults, whatever they're calling it these days. They keep changing the names. And I look at it all. I usually ask people to run a drill so I can see how they drill. I review their policies and update the policies. And then I give them a really great plan of how they can overcome their weaknesses and enhance their strengths. So that's what I'm doing up here in Beantown. Uh, we have a client up here that really, really is concerned about safety and security. I found uh, their staff to be excellent. I find their staff to be excellent. Uh, they have some financial concerns. You know, budgeting is big for everybody. You might need uh, new cameras, beautiful cameras. Well, cameras can be $3,000 a piece. And that's one thing if you need one. But what happens when you need 150 or 200 cameras for your facility? That turns into a lot of money. Uh, you have to run the cable. You've got to hook it all up. You need servers. You need all that stuff. So that's kind of what I'm doing up here right now. I'm doing a big threat assessment. And we are going to deliver our report in the next 30 days. And then hopefully, you know, we, we now see a lot of people say, hey, can you help us make sure that we get this stuff put in correctly? And it's sure, we do that too. So that's what I'm doing here. So those of you who texted me uh, on the break and wanted to know, what are you doing in Beantown? That's what I'm doing up here. Next week, I am going to uh, Connecticut. I have things in Connecticut I'm doing. So we've been getting all around, and that's why I'm flying so much. Get, you know, connect the dots here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so um, we see some things going on politically. The D.C. crime bill, right? We keep hearing about this. So if you don't really understand what goes on, uh, Washington, D.C. is its own little enclave. It's not a state uh, it's, a, it's a city, it's a town, it's the District of Columbia. It's got a special uh, connection uh, to, the, to the government and to the starting of our country and all that. Well, the people there, they have a mayor, they have a council, they, they, and they run their government, but they are overseen by the United States uh, Congress because it goes back to the founding of the country, and they, the Congress oversees what they do, and normally they don't get involved. You know, Washington runs, uh, Washington, D.C. runs as a, uh, as its own entity, as a city. They're pushing for statehood. They want to be their own state. And there's probably an argument to be made that they, they should be their own state. But currently they're not. And the Congress has, has say over some of the things they do. Well, some of the more progressive individuals in Washington, D.C. are looking at historic rises in crime. Not just shoplifting bubblegum, but violent crime, carjackings. Imagine sitting in your car and having somebody come up, stick a gun in your face, tell you get out of the car or move over and you have to go for the ride with them, whatever that is. Imagine how horrifying that would be if that was you. Well, this is on the rise. Assaults are on the rise. All kinds of crime. You know, it goes with the time that we have now. The whole defund the police is a failure and a flop. The whole anti-police thing is a failure and a flop. Uh, do we need reform in law enforcement and our laws? Yes, I think we do. I think there's a lot of things we can do to make things better. But getting rid of law enforcement officers does not make a community safer and better because the cops are the killers. The cops are the ones causing the violence. Not true, not true, not true. Um, what happens is when you get rid of law enforcement officers, you get a much more dangerous 
community with more crime, emboldened criminals who will come and take your life or whatever it is they want from you. So in D.C., the mayor and council decided that they would go with this continued uh, anti-police thing, this this whole woke world, uh, this whole thing of uh, this whole twisted idea of justice and, and, and what it is. And they will change the laws to bring the penalties for committing these very serious violent crimes down. So if carjacking was a seven-year sentence, if you were convicted of carjacking someone, and you might go to jail for seven years, and I don't know that that's the penalty there, but you know what I mean, it's a serious crime, you might go to jail for a while. They want to bring that down to a misdemeanor where you can have a trial by jury. So I guess we should spend a minute on our court system here so we all have a clear understanding of what goes on. In most jurisdictions, you have misdemeanors, okay? These are things that do not rise to what we call a crime, even though it's all crime when it comes to the specifics of what is crimes by statute, then we have different layers. So in some places, uh, you call them uh, disorderly persons charges, misdemeanors. What they mean is they're, they're crimes, they're serious, and if you are found guilty of them, your potential is to go to a county jail for up to 364 days. Now, the, and the reason they, they make that specific, 364 days, because if it's one day more, that's a year, and then that would be a different, a different set of penalties. So up to 364 days in the county jail is for a misdemeanor or a disorderly persons or whatever you could be found with. Uh, usually the, you might be tried locally in a municipal court. So your local municipal court, the people that hear traffic tickets and all that, they might try you there. At that level, in, in the municipal court, there is no jury trial. It's all bench trial. And by a bench trial, what that means is that the judge is the trier of fact, uh, as well as everything else. The judge asks questions if he, he or she wants to ask questions. You have defense attorneys asking questions, prosecutors, and you go back and forth. It's a regular court system, but there's no jury. Right? Your penalty is 364 days or less in the county jail for misdemeanors or dis uh, disorderly persons charges. When you go beyond that level to something where you can be placed in jail in prison, see, that's the difference. Jail, we, we think jail very colloquially as any jail where you're locked up, and, it, and it's not. Uh, at the county jail, that's in every county usually has a, a facility with a jail. Once you go beyond that and you go to uh, more serious crimes, more than 365 days in penalty up to taking your life, right? Then you go to prison. Usually state prison is where you go to. So that's the difference. You have, uh, you have jail, which is a county level for 364 or less days. And 365 and more, these would be your felonies. If you're charged with a felony or in some places an indictable, which means you had to be indicted for the crime. So if you are charged with um, disorderly persons fighting, you're fighting with somebody, and the officer observes you fighting with someone, they can arrest you or both of you and charge you with disorderly persons fighting. Now, if you're always fighting uh, and you, you get arrested for it all the time, the judge could sentence you to county jail for up to 364 days. If you are assaulting someone, um, domestic violence assault, you smack someone on the street, you pop them in the head for no reason. You commit a theft, <clears throat> excuse me, less than $200 in most places. 
Those are all disorderly persons kind of crimes. But depending on your criminal history, if you've been arrested many times before, you can get arrested for stealing $199 worth of stuff uh, or punching somebody, committing an assault. And if you're found guilty by the judge, because there's no jury, you can go to county jail for up to 364 days. If, on the other hand, you commit a felony or a uh, indictable, that means the charges, uh, the officer doesn't have to witness you doing it. An officer can do it on uh, evidence and belief. So they might do an investigation and believe that you committed this particular crime, and they can issue a warrant for your arrest. They can arrest you um, uh, on site without a warrant, depending on, on certain circumstances. And then you're charged, and now your charges go to the county prosecutor, superior court in your area, district attorney, whatever you call them. And they will take those charges in front of a grand jury. Now, a grand jury is a group of citizens of your peers, right? Because we always go in front of our peers. You go in front of your peers, and you don't have to testify if you've been charged. Uh, it is a one-sided operation where the prosecutor brings in whatever witnesses the prosecutor wants to make their case. The law enforcement officer can testify, usually does. And the 22 people that are seated in the grand jury, they make a determination. Is this something that the person did they should be held over for trial? Should they go to trial for what they did? Or should it be remanded to municipal court back down below? It's not so serious, whatever. Or they can dismiss it outright. It's not a crime. We don't want to charge anybody. I think I started explaining this a, a few weeks back, but just, just a quick refresher. So now the grand jury gets together and they decide, uh, we think you did a bad thing. Um, Mr. Murdaugh, we think he killed his wife and his son, and therefore we want him held over for trial. Now, at a trial, when you are the potential to go to prison, you have a choice. As the defendant, you can have a bench trial, which means there's no jury, just a judge who hears all the facts and determines how the case should be run in the courtroom and all that. Or you can ask for a jury of your peers so that they will be the trier of uh, fact and determine of guilt or innocence, right? So all this is so you understand that what, there's, there's some common sayings out there. They say if you are innocent, if you are innocent of something, you want a bench trial because a judge will be, you know, judge is a professional person who understands the law and, and, and culpability and all that. And if you're innocent, the judge will see that even if public opinion is against you. Uh, if you didn't really do it or even if, the, like I said, if public opinion says you shouldn't be doing those things and they were legal even though they were not nice or whatever, a judge will realize that and you'll be found not guilty. If you are guilty, they, they, the common belief is that you should have a jury trial because in our system, we have to have a unanimous jury to convict you. So if you don't have a unanimous jury, uh, you have 11 people voting to convict you and one says no, um, then you're not going to get convicted. And it might be a hung jury when they can't come to a unanimous decision and then the prosecutor has a choice. They can either retry the case or drop it at that point. But either way, you have a right to have a jury. So now you understand? So you get the, that little point. If you're innocent, you ask for a judge. If you're guilty, you ask for a jury. Now, not always. That's, that's not a, that's not an exact science. But these are kind of things that are talked about. Because you could see, all you have to do is convince one juror to have a shadow of a doubt and not vote for your conviction. You have 12 chances to do that. With a judge, you only got one chance. Right? So that's why people say, oh, go to a jury and then plead a good case, get a good lawyer that can, that can come up with a doubt in people's minds, and you might get off, even if you did it. 
So our friends in D.C., they want to take a serious crime like carjacking, uh, which can lead you to multiple years in state prison, and they want to knock that down to a disorderly person's charge, and they want to give you a jury, which will say, uh, hey, locally, we don't want people to go to jail. We don't like that when people go to jail here, so therefore we are going to uh, vote not guilty in everything, and therefore you have criminals running wild in a community where there's already a ton of crime. So that's, that's the whole idea why people don't really like this idea. So now that we have some understanding of, of why the court system is the way it is and what they're looking to do, what's even more amazing, though, is that while this crime, this crime bill, this thing they want to do in D.C. Is, is inappropriate, it will hurt innocent people in D.C., it will embolden criminals, it'll lead to more people being hurt, injured, assaulted, and killed than there would be if they don't have this bill, if they don't loosen up the crimes. So what's amazing is that the Republicans are pushing for this, and I think Jim Jordan is doing a great job, and all the other strong Republicans that, and not they're all not strong, but some of them are strong, and they're trying to get to the truth of a lot of things that have been blocked. Uh, we've been blocked for a long time. And I think even Chuck Schumer, uh, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer from New York, who's uh, really a despicable person, I think, uh, just by just the way from the way he behaves about things. But anyway, uh, that being the the thing, he's he said he's going to vote for it as well because he understands. I think at its essence, you can't let D.C. just just completely spin into chaos and crime, and that's that's what it is. It's like uh, that that movie from back in the day with Kurt Russell. Um, you know, uh, get out of New York or whatever it was when they, they walled off New York and put all the criminals in there. We can't have that. You can't have that in D.C. You have to fight crime. You have to make it safe for the decent people who live there. And so another guy that's out there, actually interesting, another uh, hearing that's going on, trying to get to the truth. Isn't that what we all want? That we want truth, truth about things? Representative Jim Hines, he's a Democrat from Connecticut. He is actually supporting the investigation into the origins of the COVID-19 virus. Now, what's interesting about this is that for the longest time, COVID has really separated our country, kind of like Trump did. People lost their minds over Trump. We have Trump derangement syndrome. We've also had COVID derangement syndrome. Now, make no mistake, COVID is a deadly virus. Uh, we've lost a million Americans and I think 7 million people worldwide. People I even know and cared for have died of COVID. Now, that's a reality. People continue to get COVID and get sick. Some people get sick real bad and some people are still dying from it. It's a dangerous, dangerous virus. Now, it has mitigated over time as viruses want to do. They get weaker and weaker over time. Uh, we've seen that with the different variants uh, I've had COVID myself twice, and we've had, Kathleen had it as well, my wife, and we had very mild cases. Ted, my uh, father-in-law, he's 89. Ted's healthy as a horse, and he got COVID, and it was an extremely mild case. Now, you could say someone Ted's age, uh, COVID would take him right out. Well, it didn't take him out. He didn't feel good for a couple days, and he got better right away. Now, the other part of that story is... Um, Kathleen, Ted, and I all have doctors who prescribed us the appropriate medication. So as soon as we had a symptom, we tested, we tested positive, we started taking the medication, and in two days, it was knocked out of us. 
think if we had done that, millions of people, right? Because if you even mentioned a thing like that, going back at the beginning of this, you were crazy. You're a, a, a conspiracy person. You want to hurt people. And rea the reality was there were doctors, many, 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 very, very credible doctors who said there are medications. There is a protocol. We need to create a protocol. And there are medications that can mitigate this virus. And you were not allowed to have it. You were not allowed to have the medicine. You went in, you tried to get, you couldn't have it. Your doctor couldn't prescribe it. They would bar your doctor. There's a very, very good doctor in New Jersey who was an advocate of treating COVID appropriately with available medication. And um, this doctor was told by his hospital that if you continue to treat patients uh, the way you're treating them, we are going to remove you from the hospital. Now, you have to understand the facts of this doctor's practice. This doctor had 3,000 patients with COVID. He treated them all the same way. Elderly people, people with comorbidities, people who were over 65, as well as younger people, and only lost two patients, right? Other people were losing tons of patients because they weren't treating them. They weren't doing anything. Well, if you got the COVID, you have to stay home and, and you know fight it out. And if you go to the hospital, we'll give you some medicines there. Well, the medicines they gave you in the hospital uh, have been shown to have been as just as deadly as the disease and could have taken people out. Well, we've seen in recent weeks the revelations that are coming out now about Dr. Fauci and what he did and what he knows and the reality that this is clearly, to me anyway, clearly this was a, uh, a germ that was manipulated and created in a lab. This is a germ warf warfare uh, item, this COVID-19. It was manipulated. Um, they do the, what a gain of function which is where, and, and, and the concept, now, so we hear that a lot, gain of function. Fauci says, we didn't do it. And facts prove we did do it. And we spent money on, we did do it. And he said, I didn't do it. But obviously he did do it. Uh, and the Americans spent money on the lab. And the, the purpose was this. And you have to really understand, why would, why would you take a virus that's deadly? And why would you do experimentation to gain the function, to make it even more deadly, more contagious? And the reasoning behind this, and whether it's sound reasoning or not, is that if you take viruses that they think may hurt people, like the COVID virus is a virus that's in many different forms. COVID-19 is the one particular, uh, the one that hurt all of us. But the COVID virus, there's different strains of it out there. If you take the virus that you think is going to be dangerous and you amp it up to try and understand how it's going to evolve over time to be more deadly, more powerful, then you can start to make vaccines for it. You can start to make treatments for it so that if it does ever go, we have stuff already in the bank, right? So you get how that kind of works. And that's the, that's the, um, the simplest explanation of why would somebody take a dangerous virus and make it stronger and more uh, susceptible to, uh, to, to spreading amongst people. Now that's uh, gain of function testing. Now, apparently it seems clear that America gave money to the labs in Wuhan, to the Chinese uh, labs, because they were doing experimentation there and they were trying to figure out how to prevent this kind of thing. I think what we had here was we had a virus uh, that was created in this lab. They did the, the, uh, the function, function testing on it to, to make it more powerful, to understand it, and it got out. 
simple as that. Now, the more difficult thing would be if it didn't just simply get out, but what if it was released? So when we look at uh, anything criminally uh, in an investigation, you have to say to yourself, who's to gain? Who has something to gain? And what do the facts that we can see right in front of us tell us? You know, uh, Occam's razor, sometimes the simplest explanation is the easiest is the truth. So say this was created in a lab in Wuhan, which I believe it was. And it got out either accidentally, somebody was exposed to it by accident, or was it let out purposely? Now, who would benefit from this, uh, this being let out purposely? Well, look at the havoc it caused to our country. It damaged our economy. It damaged our political life. It damaged uh, our connection between people. Uh, we all are wearing masks, even though masks really don't do any good. And we, we saw those, uh, those uh, series of, of tests early on to realize that masks really didn't do us much good, but you'll wear it anyway. You'll conform. You'll do it. You'll do it. You'll do it. We all conformed. Well, the, the Chinese would benefit from that from an American society being weakened and falling down. Now, any other facts to, to, to look at that? Well, how about when it really first hit in China in 2019, what did they do? What did the communist government do? They wouldn't let people travel um, into Wuhan, where it was running rampant, but they let people leave Wuhan and go to where? United States, Europe, Italy, all over the place. They let people leave but you couldn't send more people in. Why would you do that? Does that make any sense? If you have this, this horrible bug running around, you would say, no, nobody goes in, nobody goes out, and that's it until we get this under control. They let thousands of people leave and go to these other countries. And who was devastated? Italy was devastated, Europe was devastated, and the United States was devastated. So the fact that our government, and not all of them, but our president, to this day, refuses to say anything negative about the Chinese government, the only thing that can be is because he's beholden to them. He's somehow connected. Well, how could he be connected, Lieutenant? He's an American president, isn't it? No, look at the money. Right? He's beholden through money. His son got money. He got money. His brother got money. The whole family got money from the Chinese. They're, probably, they're still getting money, and therefore they're beholden. Do the Chinese have those factors? They probably do. They probably have the paperwork, the documentation. We're seeing the Hunter Biden emails come out that are indicating all of this actually happened. So there's where you, where you see uh, the problem. So why would people withhold any information at this point? Is it top secret that we can't know where the COVID uh, virus came from? Why would anybody in the American government stonewall the committee who's trying to find out. Why would people say, it's a stupid committee. We shouldn't have that committee. We don't need that committee. Don't we need to know how this started so that we cannot have another situation like this? It's, it's crystal clear to a clear-thinking mind. The only reason people would not do that is if they have something to gain. And what do they have something to gain? And, and this is kind of converse. I think they have something to gain, maybe not financially, but they have something to gain in that not going to prison to find out that, yes, they did all this. They lied to Congress. Uh, they made this up. They were part and parcel of this. They made a mistake. They shouldn't have been involved in it. And they would look weak. They would look stupid. And they would lose politically. And we will not lose politically by giving the American people all the facts. So that is what I think happened. And I think uh, slow and steady, I think uh, the, the committee is coming out. And what's great is having not only Republicans 
want to have this committee go forward and do the investigations. Now we're getting some Democrats jumping on going, hey, wait a minute. All right, it's one thing for party loyalty. It's another thing. A million Americans died here. It couldn't happen again. Let's find out what happened. Let's get to the truth and make sure it never happens again. And I think that may be the overwhelming uh, good that comes out of this. All right, so the, one of the other things I want to talk about here, and, and I hope I, I covered that clearly for you as best as I could to understand gain of function and, and why that's a concern. Uh, but it's great that we have we do have uh, some bipartisanship happening to find out the truth of these things. Now, if we can get bipartisan for everything else, that would be great. We saw recently that uh, one of my colleagues, Tucker Carlson, was provided with 40,000 hours of surveillance video from the January 6th insurrection. And it's interesting, and just in the video we've seen so far, it does not match the reports that were given to us by the January 6th commission. Uh, there was no fighting. There was no attacking people inside the Capitol. Police officers opened doors for the people who were coming in. They guided them from room to room. Now, the, the, what everyone was saying is they did that to keep everyone calm. Maybe they did. But the fact is they weren't arresting people. Uh, you got They had flagpoles. Those were weapons. Well, if you had somebody in that Capitol illegally and you thought they were going to injure congressmen that were there, your duty would be then to arrest these people, to handcuff them, to take them into custody. They didn't do that. When we watched the video, it was very calm. It was cordial. You saw them talking with each other. It didn't happen the way they told us it happened. So that's an important thing. More and more is coming out on this, and all of these truths will be revealed in time. Uh, it's important for all of us to understand what really happens in our world so we can make clear decisions. I, our time goes so fast here uh, that I, I, I lose track of it and I could go on and on and on. So that just tells me this. I'll see you soon, my friends, uh, in another episode of Chasing Justice here in the America Out Loud Radio Network. Until next time, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.